0: Broadcasting live from Swifties on Genesee Street, it's Comets Insider.
1: From down there on the ice, who do you think really made a difference in the first period? Definitely the hockey
0: players, Chrissy. They were the ones who got all the scores. And then you got the goalie wearing every pad in the world
2: uh, and
0: baseball gloves. He's working very hard, too. This is Comets Insider with Rain and Scoop.
3: We are, of course, at Swifties on Genesee Street in Utica, Utica Comets Insider on ESPN, Utica Rome. Welcome to Andy Zilch. It's nice to have him in the building, which means we have, instead of a three-way phone call, we've got to ask Andy at 730 with Don Libel, the beat reporter for the Utica Comets.
0: you know, uh, another set of eyes that was on what
1: happened last night with all the fisticuffs. Was that last night? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Such a blur. It's been a crazy weekend for the boys. It's been a lot of hockey lately.
3: Crazy few six days. My name is Rain. Scoop is here. All the fun brought to you by the Slocum Dixon Medical Group and Bud Light. Dilly dilly, Scoop. And, of course, uh, we've got associate head coach Gary Agnew, who drew the short straw to come down <laughs> here and explain what's going on. He, he had to take over. It's the first time this has happened with Coach Cull here. He had to take yep. over uh, due to an ejection. There's been some there was some controversial calls as well. There was a lot of fights yesterday. There's just a lot to discuss over the weekend, but the past six games in total. And I think we're going to try to get to all of that but let's go right to where we started when you walked in before we put the headsets and the microphones on and just, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> what the hell's going on here, Gary? Uh,
4: well, if I knew, I would have stopped it earlier, but uh, listen, I think uh, a big part of it is uh, when you go on a, uh, a run like we had with the 16-point uh, scoring streak or point streak, um, good music. And uh, the... the uh, when you finally end that streak uh, there's a deflation almost where it's like you know we should be winning and we should be just showing up to win and all of a sudden you lose three or four in a row or in our case six at this point and now that almost takes on a life of its own so you know there's some other issues obviously with some injuries and some players that have been traded and called up and but every team goes through that so yeah. you certainly can't uh, hang your hat on that but yeah it's, it's, it's a little bit um, out of control right now but I think this little week off here is going to get us a little bit of time to breathe and get ourselves organized and get ourselves back to where we were. Maybe the, the boys get a day today to clear their heads out also. For sure. And listen, it, it, it was the weekend. It was a tough weekend. Obviously, the loss uh, on Friday, and then we were supposed to travel. We didn't because of the storm. Now we get up Saturday. We get on the road. We get in Hershey. We get a couple hours. Then we play them. Some controversial calls in that game, and including a disallowed goal and a misinterpretation of the rule. And then you're in Sunday into bingo, and they've gotten a few additions to their roster, and now you're hurting three games and three nights, as they were as well. But uh, we weren't able to sort of get it together quickly enough.
3: I got to ask about, it seemed like at one point everybody was in the penalty box.
4: Yeah, I mean, um, I think there was a certain level of frustration. I mean, at 4-2, it's a game, and things are going well, and uh, all of a sudden it few things happen. Guy takes a shot on goal when the whistle blew and somebody takes liberties. And now both teams have been, as I said, three and three. And now you get a level of emotion and uh, and sensitivity. And uh, things get out of control a little bit. And, and so, you know,
3: I mean, the officiating has a little bit to do with that. I wrote frustration down right here, so I'm glad you touched on it. Andy's going to go.
1: Obviously, team is very upset after... The course of everything that happened on sunday are you happy with the team at least getting emotional and showing it physically i mean you didn't win the hockey game but the team is trying to push back as hard as they can
4: yeah listen there's never been any doubt in our minds uh you know over over the stretch of the season about the team's uh care attitude or their their level of competitiveness right so they're a team that wants to win, they're a team that does everything they possibly can to win, there's no questioning their work ethic, there's no questioning their competitive level, listen, some nights they don't have it, but it's not because they don't want to have it, it's because it's just not there physically, so When you respond the way we did, as you mentioned on Sunday, it it makes you feel good because they do have a, you know, they they want to win. And when things aren't going their way, they get frustrated. So, um, and that's something that we have to deal with. I mean, obviously we can't, I think we gave up 10 power plays on Sunday and six or whatever it was on Saturday. There's some penalty issues that, you know, we've got to deal with. Part of that's fatigue. Uh, Part of that's the competitive level. So all those things have to be talked about this week.
0: The penalty kill has been good, though.
4: The penalty kill has been good. I mean, uh, you know, the the group uh, in general, uh, led by Wacy Hamilton, obviously, and uh, Belugis and uh, Sautner, and then the goaltenders. You know, I mean, both guys have been tremendous. I mean, and your 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 best penalty killer has to be your goaltender because you're going to give up a chance or a shot uh, just because of the odd number situation. So. Um, both guys, both Baki and uh, Demer have been tremendous in there, have made huge saves when we've given up uh, you know, a, a backdoor type of play, but yeah, for the most part guys are blocking shots, guys are getting clears, guys are winning faceoffs. I mean they're battling uh, huge right now
0: You know, maybe you just need a greasy goal to, to open <laughs> up the floodgates again, that's, I, I heard a couple of people say that Friday night, especially when you're, you know, it was just a one nothing game uh, sometimes that's all you need, it's it, when you have a 16-game point streak, you know the the little things that don't go exactly right can easily get overlooked, and then when you lose six in a row, the little things suddenly are magnified, and and then a, a team gets frustrated, and you wind up with what you had last night.
4: Yeah, yeah, I know for sure. I mean, uh, winning masks a lot of things, and and losing magnifies little things. So right now we're kind of at that crossroads where we've got to I mean we got to rely on our structure and our system of play it's been it's done us well all season long and we just got to get back to that and uh you know keep ourselves in the game and uh, not let things get out of control it's if they're up one nothing or we're up one nothing or whatever the score may be continue to stay with what we've preached continue and the guys have bought in in a huge way and uh, it's been good. So we just got to rely on our structure and rely on our style of play.
3: Gary Agnew's with us. It's Comets Insider, Utica Comets Insider on ESPN. Utica, Rome, we're live at Swifties, courtesy of the Slocum Dixon Medical Group and Bud Light, Dilly Dilly. Uh, We also have Andy Zilch here with us. We've got Scoop. My name is Rain. Uh, There's all sorts of beers, 24 of them come down here. The place is full. You can grab a bite to eat, and uh, you can learn a little bit more about Utica Comets hockey. Tell me about, Gary, uh, Trent Call. And, and I know you're not going to divulge conversations that you have in the office or things like that. But when, when you get into a, a lull like this of six games, we'll call it that. I'm not going to say the other the other phrase. That's a bad word. <laughs> but what is he doing to keep morale up? What is he saying to the guys in the locker room? What are you two discussing as far as game planning and managing a group of young men on a team?
4: Well, I think, again, you know, the only thing you can do is uh, you sell hope, right? You find areas of the game that you're doing well. You continue to preach those areas. Um, I think he, he has a tremendous knack of reading a period, whether it's after the first or after the second, of being able to make adjustments, being able to tell players what's happening in terms of a system of play, of what's what's broken down, what, what we need to fix. Um and I, I I really think that he his message to the team, certainly uh, you know, between periods anyway, is direct, it's succinct, it's two or three points, it's get your rest, let's
1: get back on the horse and get back going again. So uh, and I think guys have reacted well to that all season long. We got a home and home coming up with Springfield. Do you find it easier for teams to adjust to- the opponent when you have a home and home like that,
4: yeah, you know, and and we haven't talked about how we're going to prepare this week for the Springfield series, if you want to call it that. Okay. Um, but in my opinion, and I'm, you know, I'll, I'll be talking about this in, in the meetings certainly is that you're going to look, you know, try to take it as a playoff series, right? So we're going to. Adjust, we're going to make our adjustments. We're going to break them down. We don't have to worry about three teams. We just have to worry about one. And as you said, that's a lot easier to prepare for. So when you're watching game tape and film and getting your team organized for the, the strategy and tactics sessions and what you're going to try to do against the opponent, it's, a, it's much easier when you're playing one team, obviously.
0: Who have you seen good things from, good play from, in spite of losing Six games in a row. I I think Cole Castles is still out there hustling, you know, and it's good to see Jalen Chatfield out there, you know. uh, And I I do think with all the ups and downs and everything, there's a chemistry issue. You know, you guys can't – you don't get a chance to settle into anything for very long.
4: Yeah, no, it's tough, but I think you're right. I mean, I think, as I said earlier, there's been no no question, even in the six game, 16-game point streak or the six-game losing streak, there's never been a question of the work ethic, and you mentioned – uh, Cole castles and uh, you know I think he's a perfect example of what's what's right with this team it, it's a it's a work heavy team uh, they get the job done typically uh, yeah it's a little bit of a lull right now but the leadership group in there you know certain and, and Carter banks hasn't played in six weeks but that group of him and Hamilton and ciphers and we are and that whole game when Archibald was here what they've created in that locker room that culture in that locker room at least from an outsider coming into it this year for the first time. Is a, is a work ethic and a mentality that we put the boots on we go out there and at the end of the night we might lose a game but we won't lose it because of our competitive level and how hard we work they might score a couple of goals on a power play whatever happens but we're not going to lose it in that area and it, it's been really good and castles is a guy that's uh, as you said is maintaining that right now
3: uh keeping with things that are positive with the utica Comets. Penalty kill's been strong throughout all of this. Still ranked very high in the league. 86 percent, that's third overall. So you've got to feel good about that as well. That's something I suppose you don't have to focus on as much because that's not broke right now. Right. But I think,
4: uh, you know, you you still have to make sure that, and both special teams have been excellent all year. Absolutely. You You
0: prefer five on five, right?
4: Of course. For sure. And both groups have been great, five on five, or uh, the special teams, power play and penalty killing have been top five all year for the most part. I think the power play's fallen off since the home trade and the Archibald recall, but certainly they're still hanging in there, and you need that if you're going to be successful. So... We need to make sure that we continue to preach that part of our game. And as you mentioned earlier, we don't, we can't keep taking all these penalties because it wears out your top players. And all you end up doing, if you're going to kill 20 minutes, some, which is a full period of penalties like we did the other night, you're going to find yourself in trouble because you're not going to have enough left in the tank to be able to mount a comeback or to try to win the game when the, when the
3: heat is on. So. We diff- We need to take care of the discipline sort of area of our game right now. Associate Head Coach Gary Agnew is with us. It's comments Insider with the ESPN, Utica, Rome. Brought to you by Slocum, Dixon Medical Group, and Bud Light. Andy Zilch is here with us. So fire the next one.
1: I saw you about to. about to. We got uh, just two games in two days coming up. And you spoke about penalties arriving because team might have been tired. And during the course of three games in three days for the first time, do you think that the penalties are going to tail off coming up in this weekend? And also, as a coach... How do you guys curb that? Uh, yeah, no, so to answer your question, I
4: think that we will, you know, I think those will be curbed, I think they'll get back to a normal, you know, level of two or three or four, whatever it is in a typical game. Um, and I think the one thing that you have to always remember when you're preaching to your team is, like, and as coaches, and I'm sure as fans or, or media guys, you don't mind a guy taking a penalty if it's going to stop a goal or if it's a... You know, it's a big heavy hit that the referee feels there's some intent of some sort and they they give you a penalty. Everyone's fine with that. The penalties that are 200 feet away from your net in the offensive zone are really annoying to coaches. The the penalty, the hooking, uh, you know, which just means you're not – you don't have the energy to catch your guys, so you have to hook them to catch up to them are really annoying to coaches. So those, those uh, penalties and, and issues that we're going to discuss with our team, and, and they've been good all year. So, you know, we're making a little bit of a mo- mountain out of a molehill here, but it, certainly we don't want it to get out of control. We want to make sure that we stem the tide right now and get back
3: to what we normally do. It was, it was strange to see a shutout. You haven't seen one yet this year, and then two in a row. What do you what do you do to address that? It's just uh, the puck's not going in the net. You're not, in other words, you're not getting the bounces. You get a hot goalie, a really good defensive team, but then is that what happens two nights in a row, or is it just the sport? It's just the game.
4: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, I think obviously we're a little bit offensively uh, handcuffed right now, and um, you know, as was mentioned earlier in the broadcast, I think it's going to be a greasy one. You know, it's yeah. greasy goals that count. You know, it's. To score in any level, the National Hockey League, the American Hockey any level, you need to screen. Goaltenders are too good. Their equipment's too good. The goalies are too good. They have goalie coaches to teach them how to play the game. You need to screen. You need to get rebounds. You need to outwork the, the opposition's goaltender to score. And, yeah, you know what? Once in a while you get a nice two-on-one or a breakaway that looks sweet. But for the most part, you know, and if I think if you looked at the pie chart and the percentages of goals that we've scored this year, I'm sure a lot of them are based on screens and rebounds. So that's an area that we have to get back to if we're going to score. Uh, I remember going through a street myself where I hadn't scored in a long time and, you know, you you drive the net and it goes off your elbow and into the net and all of a sudden you're back. You know, it's just something like that gets you going again. So I don't think we're at that point yet, but I think we're at a point where we need to certainly get our um,
0: work in and around the goaltender up a level. So uh, let's talk about the goaltending play. I felt bad for Richard Bachman Friday (laughs) night. I thought he was having a great game. And we just couldn't, I mean, a one nothing game. Hmm. Uh, even, you got to think he got a good shot all the way to the end of it, you know. And he just well, he gave couldn't, us, yeah. couldn't get that greasy goal.
4: No, and he gave us every chance to win. And that's all you can ask your goaltender is just give us a chance to win. And he gave us a chance to win. I mean, he did his job that night, no question about it. We couldn't muster up a power play goal. We couldn't muster up anything in and around their net. And it's unfortunate. And sometimes you, you run oh, into a hot goaltender, and both guys were hot that night. So... I feel bad for Baki. I mean, to use an old baseball term, we didn't get him any run production. And when you don't get run production, it becomes a really stressful situation. So, felt bad for him. But, um, you know, I think he was one of the stars that night. He should have been if he wasn't. And um, I don't think there's a lack of. Uh, confidence there in the coaching staff or in him and how he
0: played. I sure. think he was the third star. He was the star. I know the guy who picks him. <laughs> <laughs> who might that be? <laughs>
3: uh, I won't divulge my
1: my uh, sources. It's
3: nobody in this room. No, no. That's no, all I know. No. One more before the break. I know Andy had a question lined up. You just uh, you referenced baseball again. Are you a big baseball fan? Um, I was when I was younger.
4: Uh, I grew up in Montreal, so... Huge Rusty Staub Montreal Expos fan Ooh, okay. So yeah yeah So and then when they moved To Washington To become the Nationals I kind of fell off But my dad was a big Baseball guy yep. And so uh, yeah I, I, I enjoyed the I enjoyed The live Entertainment of baseball I'm not a big fan On television I find it a
3: little bit Long and slow But Live and in color. I, I'm I'm pretty. I like I like ball games. You saw like, some great players in Montreal, though. You some great, great players. players. Andre Dawson, Gary Carter. I mean Tim Range you can go on and on. Tim Wallach. Awesome players. Yeah, all great players. I got
4: a I got a signed uh, Gary Carter baseball just before he passed. From um, a buddy of mine was a broadcaster there and gave me that. So it's a it's a treasured memento for me from uh, from that from those times for sure. Still Is, still have a Black Monday though. That uh, Rick Monday came up and t- tatered one out and sent the expo. Down the playoff <laughs> ditch that year, so that still bothers me. As you can tell, I get a little twitch when I talk about it. So
3: <laughs> that's okay, man. You're allowed. You're allowed. So, uh, associate head coach Gary Agnew is hanging out with us here. Comets Insider is live from Swifties. We've got a ni- Swifties. We've got a nice full bar scoop. Andy Ziltz, the voice of the Comets from over on K Rock, has joined me over here tonight. Uh, my name is Rain. We're going to come back and continue the conversation.
0: We'll do it next. Broadcasting live from Swifties on Genesee Street. It's Comets Insider with Rain and Scoop on ESPN Radio Utica Rome. AM 1310, 1350 at 1230, the ESPNUR app, ESPNUR.com. Of course, this will be podcasted later. If you've missed anything with Gary Agnew and Andy Zilch here with us, I'm Scoop, Rain here as well. 24 beers on tap here at Swifties. If you're coming to the game on Friday night with Springfield, come on in to Swifties. they got a shuttle, take you right to the game beforehand, bring you back up here afterwards. It's a great way to set up your night. And I do want to mention... Uh, the Utica College Pioneers had a spectacularly exciting game Saturday night at the ABC, an 8-3 to win over Elmira, and today was the day that the NCAA bids come out, and they did not get one for shame, for shame. I mean, there's a team that got a bid that they'd beaten over the course of the season. There's a team in there with... 15 wins and 10 losses an inferior record to the utica college pioneers well uh, you know so i i feel bad about that but i'm glad by the same token you know today with everything that happened over there with the the school under lockdown kind of puts everything into perspective and i'm glad that Everything seems to have worked out with nobody getting hurt. It ended up best-case scenario. They swept the school, and
3: uh, they didn't. They ended up finding nobody. It might have just been a phone threat. There's still a lot of details and investigation going on.
0: But, uh, you know, the, the Pioneers had a great season, and their fans are fantastic. And they're really a big part of the reason why the Utica Comets are here is the, the ability for them to sell out those games. And uh, Gary Heenan just did a, a masterful job. Those kids were beating the living snot out of each other. They were hitting like crazy. I've never seen a college game with hits like that. Listen, man, we're having
3: some trouble with the Comets scoring. Roman Amorato came down from D1, and that kid puts the puck in can the net. We, can
0: like, we borrow, borrow a couple of Pioneer goals from Saturday night and throw them on the ledger we, for we, next we, Friday night? We,
3: we were wondering if they took all the goals in that 8-3 to three game. You split that in half, that's four a game maybe instead they, of a couple maybe, of shutouts. Maybe they
0: left us a good mojo for Friday night. It's completely. It's unreasonable
3: to expect D3 hockey players to play at this level, but that's all right. It was fun to uh, to discuss for a few minutes. And you don't often see Gary Heenan uh, got on, on Twitter and made a public statement where he basically feels a little bit of a broken selection system within D3, but it's still some fun hockey to watch, and they share the building with you guys. And I know uh, that there's a mutual respect that goes back and forth. There is, yeah. I mean, I've known Gary since I coached in Syracuse uh, and I used to see him
4: at hockey school. So explain to me what happened. So do they have the same selection process? Is there, how many teams
3: get into the... Twelve. 12. They get 12 in. Uh, they ended up being ranked, uh, I think it was 9 or 10 depending on there's two different D3 polls and you know then they wait the wins yeah. and different conferences get uh, automatic bids others don't. It's the first season of the UCHC they just flip to this. They win their inaugural conference championship 21 wins wow. but they said a few of their wins were against teams who ended up not being as good as projected so that's what ultimately made them the first team or the last team out of making it which Hmm. i thought they should i thought they should have got it too they have a good chance this year it
1: certainly stinks too you know they're they're part of our family over there in uh the adirondack bank center and i know the coaching staff Uh, i know the women's coaching staff with dave clausen so you know we're all one family there and you know when somebody gets shafted like that you know we 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 feel bad because uh you know some of those young men certainly put their heart on the line and Uh, It's just, you know, it's tough at the end of the day, but it is what it is. Nobody can take that win away from them
0: Saturday night. And because of the selection process the way it is, there's forever going to be a question, what if? You know, Uh, even if you win this tournament, you're going to go, what would have happened if we would have played Utica? Welcome to uh, Utica College Pioneers Insider here <laughs> at on Genesee
3: Street, Utica. Scoop, Rain, Andy Zilch is here with us, and Associate Head Coach Gary Agnew uh, it is, of course, Utica Comets Insider. Wow, there's so many more questions to ask. I have all sorts of stuff circled, but I want to go back to uh, something we talked about right before we got on the air again. And we had alluded to it a little bit in our first segment uh, some of the offensive issues, I guess, that we're obviously seeing with a couple of shutouts. And you had alluded to the Philip Home deal. And I had suggested maybe with Darren Archibald, some of the physicality, which might open up some other opportunities for some other players. And there's different reasons. Do you feel that those are warranted, not excuses, but reasons maybe? There's, uh, you're getting, the roster's getting used to itself again because guys are sliding into new roles and things like that. Darren was on the penalty kill, for example. He's not there anymore, et cetera, et cetera. Take it from there. What do you think? Yeah, no,
4: I, I think it's a huge issue. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Philip Holm was, I don't know, top 10 in scoring for defensemen in the league, I think, by the time he was traded. And uh, a top guy in the power play. One of the best, probably, offensive defensemen to run a power play in a the league. Quarterback, so to speak. Big-time quarterback. He uh, was really good at making the drop entry. was really good on the blue line, feeding Boucher the puck, and uh, did a tremendous job. But you know what? That's that's what we're here for. Like, I mean, he's his development was good. The Vancouver Canucks, we're able to use his asset and get a player, and that happens. So that's fine. We got to move on from that, and and now it's up to us as coaches to try to find somebody else to fit into that role. Now whether it becomes Breezebar or Just or Sautner, somebody's got to fill that role. So um, we just got to get working on it and make sure that we can uh, find a, a compatible player that can go in there and at least do a reasonable job and get us back to where we were, to certainly on on the power play. And then when you talk about Arch, I mean Arch, not only does he bring a physical element, but he, he brings a you know that experience that you need. Like when you're down one nothing, or you're down 2 nothing, or it's a 2-2 game, you know, you got to rely on your veterans. You know, your veteran guys that have been there before that tell everybody, hey man, take a deep breath. I know it's chaotic out there, but take a deep breath. We'll be fine. Stick with the plan. Everything's going to work out. And you miss those types of guys. So, you know, you're, there's no Archibald. Banks has been out of the lineup. Hamilton, Castles have all done a great
3: job. But you need those guys if you're going to win those types of games. When you're looking for the guys, I just want to follow up with this quick. When you're looking for those guys to step up into those roles, how much do you guys now rely on analytics? Because you would even reference that a little bit earlier. Or... You're a little bit more of an old-school coach, too, and and, and Culler's coming in his first year as a head coach. Do you guys get together and combine analytics with good old-fashioned eyeball test, or, or how do you guys go about that process of going, yeah, all right, we, we lost this guy to a call-up or a trade, and we need to fill this role on the team. Let's give this guy a shot, or do you work out a few different guys in practice? All the above. I mean, okay.
4: I, I think the only way to do this job or successfully do this job, you can't rely solely on the eye test. You can't rely solely on analytics. And you can't rely solely on what a guy does in practice. I mean, practice is different than a game. So you, I think you have to take all those things and try to make the best educated decision that you can based with the information that you have, but certainly not relying on any one of those components. I think it's the same in any sport. And you make you make your decision based on that and hope that it's the right one. And, and at this point, you're auditioning guys. You know, we're going to try different guys in different roles, and hopefully someone uh, knocks it out of the park. Sorry
1: about the baseball analogy. <laughs> and... Uh, and then we're good. Well, at least you're not divulging your starters like baseball. <laughs> I asked him how the goalie rotation was going to be on Friday. And he said it's big top secret, real hush hush. Is Belichick. Yeah, yeah. he yeah. Belichick. It certainly so there's did. A, there's, a,
3: there's a football one. Scoop certainly Go. did.
0: Well, so obviously uh, you're hoping to see guys grow into roles. You're giving them a try. But you're also going to get an influx of guys from Vancouver and some of these young guys. Uh, how are they? And I'll, po- I'll pose this to both of you guys, both Gary and Andy. Uh, some of the names that we might see here before too long, because Vancouver's season is is not going so well. <laughs> you, you just go ahead and say it. I
3: Scoop, think they're, 20, okay. what are they, 28th out of 30 in the league right now? Yeah. I believe I saw as of this morning. <laughs> So yeah. So I
0: mean, Nikolai Goldobin, you know, we we expect him back here, but some of the other guys we might see. Mott's here. another
4: one too. Yeah. yeah. No, there's. I mean, they've got a. They they they've got to do what they got to do. I mean, that's what you're here for is to make sure that that the National Hockey League team is competitive and and sees those players. So the Goldobins, the Mottes, as you mentioned, uh, the Archibalds getting a chance. Any of those guys. So certainly we're hopeful that we'll see those guys they've still got to get through their rest of their season but uh, yeah and then and then you've still got the guys, the college kids the free agents that are finishing their seasons you've got the junior kids that are finishing their seasons that might give a little bit of influx of energy and some enthusiasm. Adam
0: that
3: so, for example is
4: yeah.
0: one. It's, Adam like, it's is. like you're making a sauce but you know it's, <laughs> it's never done. No. You got to keep cooking it all the time. No, I don't like that kind of pepper. Let's go with that kind of pepper. Yeah, put you some know, more of this in there. I,
3: I don't like that kind of mushroom. Let's go with that kind Let's of mushroom. I got that pepper. We yeah, had to, that's a good pepper. We had to throw some food analogies in with all the sports <laughs> analogies. We're going all over the place. It's not just hockey tonight. It's fantastic. Uh, Gary Agnew is with us, associate head coach of the Utica Comets here on Comets Insider, live down at Swifties. What's what's the toughest thing? about being a, a head coach since you've done it before or an associate head coach what's the toughest part of the job for you and Cole at this level at this level without a doubt is the
4: constant uh, changing of your of your roster mm-hmm. if you you coach junior hockey thought. or college hockey you know your players from day 1 basically until day you know 210 when the season ends you know who you've got in junior you can make a couple of trades and tweak it but that's your team And in college, it's the same way. You've got your team, you've got your team. National Hockey League, similar, but, you know, you're still calling guys up from the American League. But at this level, for me, the hardest thing is to be able to fit the pieces that are coming and going all the time, get them introduced to the system that you're trying to play, I mean, it's it's a, it's a baptism by fire. You know, you get a guy come in from the East Coast League and you're talking about your forecheck and what you do off of face-offs and your D-zone coverages and all the reads that have to be made out there and then the guy's looking at you like you got three heads. gone. There's no way you can teach all that in that a period. You do the best you can, but I think that's the biggest challenge for certainly a head coach. And then, and then further to that, They don't take, they they take your best players. So when you're talking about the power play, you know, typically your best players are on the power play. So Goldobin, Boucher, Holm, whatever, Archibald, those guys, those are the guys that are going up. So for Jason King, who runs a power play for the Comets, that's a huge challenge for him because now he's got all kinds of different parts coming and going and trying to get them, you know, skilled guys trying to make plays in and around his 1-3-1 or whatever his drop is, whatever his system he's playing. It becomes a real issue. So I think
3: that's the toughest thing is dealing with the constant changing of, uh, of the of personnel. Boy, if you know you're going to have to get a new guy in, you want him on a Monday when you got a game on <laughs> Friday so you can give him the cliff notes on Tuesday, you work a little bit more in on Wednesday, Thursday, and hope that you've got a few pages fill, filled by the time you play the next game and then you just throw a little bit more as it goes. And these are young guys, too, to your point, that they might just be professionals for 20 games or something like that. Is it? There, they could be rookies out of college, out of juniors, and they're getting used. It's a whole new world beyond sure. what happens on the ice. Well, the perfect example
4: is this week with uh, Zach Lynch. He comes in on Thursday. We play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Like, how how are we going to get him? I mean, good luck, son. Like, you know, go get him. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, here's what we do. But you know, when you get out on the ice and things are happening so fast and you know at such high speed, and you got to make decisions under that, it's it's not easy. So, and it's no different than these guys going up to the National Hockey. You've got to give him two, three weeks to get acclimatized. You cannot make a decision on a guy based on the first two or three days that he's there because he's just trying to figure it out.
3: Absolutely. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back from Swifty's Comets Insider on ESPN, Utica, Rome.
1: Here's Ask Andy with Don Leibold. Yeah,
0: boy! Broadcasting live from Swifty's on Genesee Street, this is Comets Insider with Raymond Stoop on ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome.
3: That's the best That's the best rejoin of Comets Insider when we get ready for beat reporter Don Leibel. Uh, he is, of course, on the phone, and we have Andy Zilch in Swifties this week. A uh, schedule worked out, so we're able to do it this way. Andy basically gets three questions from Don, and uh, we see what comes up. Sometimes it's a little bit out of the box, but that's what we look for. Uh, but we also have associate head coach Gary Agnew still in Swifties with us, Don. So take that into consideration if uh, you want to fire some questions his way. We'll even let you have an extra one or two if you want. So go ahead.
2: I do. In fact, uh, he said the magic word, uh, exposed. So I'm going to have to bring up something there. Um, yeah. You know, what I, Andy, you're the perfect person to ask this. Last Friday night. Snowstorm. I wasn't able to get there. Could you give us an idea, maybe things that went on behind the scenes how, how the parking lots were going to get plowed, um, some things that we may not know that went on to keep, get that game going. Uh, you know, there was some real faithful people that showed up there. Uh, what what challenges went into getting uh, what seemed like a regular, a, a normal game on, but the weather affecting it? What challenges were faced by the by the club?
1: Well, it was a really dismal start because everybody knew that Don Libel was not in the house. So it was very tough for the players to get up for the game. (laughs) I know the coaches were very. I know the coaches were very distraught. I was having a tough time starting the broadcast, but
3: <laughs> you gotta
1: uh, pardon me for a minute. I can't contain my laughter. That was live on air. Yeah, boy. By Uh-oh. the way, go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, it was. Uh, you know, I, I understand that uh, fans couldn't come out for that one. It was really tough, and uh, it was even tougher the fact that we had to be adamant about that game starting on time. Belleville was in the house. That, that's who we played, right? Belleville. Yeah. Yeah. Belleville was in the house, so uh, you know the referees were there. Everything was a go, and it was uh, it was a really bad snowstorm, so it was tough for people to come out. I know our arena staff was working diligently around to shovel the snow, make the walking paths pretty easy. Uh, but uh, I was very impressed with uh, the amount of people that A showed up, and then the people that B tuned in. And uh, you know, if a lot of people weren't able to come in there, they were certainly listening to the game on K Rock.
2: Sure, sure. Now, did you leave right after the game to Hershey?
1: No, we did not. That was the initial plans. But because of the weather, 81 was shut down. And actually, Gary Agnew... Uh, was uh, in there uh, after the game we were watching the maps pretty closely and it just it was going to take us about six hours to get there right yeah no I mean uh, it was it was really bad obviously uh, they had shut down 81
4: for about 13 miles and uh, we actually had somebody that we knew that was sitting on that highway for seven or eight hours and the uh, police had told her to uh, turn the car on for 10 minutes then shut it off for 50 to try to keep the gas so uh, we had no plans of of certainly putting our team in that kind of uh, atmosphere
2: Amazing. Uh, I'm sure, like you said, the, the listenership uh, was up, I think, on Friday night. I know for me it was a bit strange listening to a home game on the radio, but, um, you know, I want to switch things to Reed Boucher. Uh, and following the team for the last five years, I, I can't think of one guy for a prolonged period who the team counted on the offense that much as they do for Reboucher. do you think he understands or he feels how, whether it's the fans, the players, that people are looking at him as, as you know, the offensive savior, and uh, how do you think that's playing with him?
0: Well, he whacked the glass with his stick Friday night. I, yeah. think, I think he feels a little bit of, you know recognition and pressure that he wants to produce for the team
1: absolutely well, i think he he uh, he knows i mean you know he's got a great shot uh, probably one of the best that we've ever seen here in utica and one of the best in the american hockey league right now too so i mean he knows what he can do and uh, he's got pressure on himself i know he's probably hardest on himself than anybody else's, as far as fans or coaches are concerned i mean gary you can touch on this a little bit too but uh, i mean he's a guy who goes out there and he expects to play a good game and he expects to score no, no, 100. percent I mean, he is—he is as competitive a player
4: offensively uh, that I've seen, certainly at this level, and even at the National League level. Like this guy wants to score, this guy loves to score, this guy will do what it takes to score, and I—I um, I think he, you know, he puts himself in position to score, and when he doesn't, he gets frustrated, as we all would. And uh, but no, he's—he uh, is an absolute great offensive talent.
0: I love that fire. I love the fire he has. Mm-hmm. Oh
4: yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, when you get an offensive guy like that with some fire and some jam and some competitiveness and hates losing and doesn't like it when he doesn't score, it's uh, it bodes well for your team generally.
2: It, it seems like each shift he's out there that he's capable of having an assist on a goal or he's scoring, but I can't remember a guy in the last five years who was that um, uh, dangerous as, as far as... A guy that, that' offensively that, that can every each time he's out there has an ability to to get a point on, uh, in in the net it's just uh, amazing season that he's had so
4: well and you know what uh, I mean Trent's done a great job in using him in the penalty kill role as well and this guy gets shorthanded chances one every five games and uh, he doesn't always capitalize on those but I think we have seven short Anna goals this year, and certainly he's a big part of, of our threat in that area. You know, when you put a guy like that out late in the penalty kill and uh, they're, they've got their offensive players who are tired because they haven't scored yet and he can get going, boy, it's a, it's a huge threat. I mean, we did the same with uh, Rick Nash in Columbus many years ago. And uh, he became one of the top penalty killers in the National Hockey League and was a threat on the penalty kill. And same as Reed is a
3: threat on the penalty kill for us. It pains me seeing him in a Boston Bruins jersey. I'm a big Rangers fan. <laughs> oh, you get a Ranger. Um, No, Actually, they won three in a row. I like what they're doing. Go ahead, Don.
2: Um, you know, we just finished up with the All-Star game, but when they announced recently that Springfield will host it next year, Andy, I mean, you could give us an insight on what is the city like? Uh, how will they support the game? um what, what, what will they bring to the game for, that maybe Utica did as well? Um, what, what will Springfield be?
1: Well, I think uh, Springfield, much like Utica, has a rich, rich hockey history. So I would certainly hope that they incorporate that into the all-star festivities. They actually they have a longer history than we do here in Utica. It was one of the original AHL teams with the Springfield Indians. Eddie Shore was uh, a guy who used to run the team. Teddy Shore, his son, took over, also ran the team, and they got a lot of good hockey players that have been through there. And it seems like, one way or another, somebody has been through Springfield. I mean, if you go through AHL rosters, coaching staff, Trent Cole had a, a stint in Springfield. So uh, I certainly hope that they reach into their history because that's what I would look forward to.
3: I feel like I feel like we're having deja vu. Didn't we talk about we this did. in Ada Zilch we the other day? We certainly did, yes. Was that the same answer that you gave, or should I direct everybody to my Twitter feed? We can, we can certainly direct. Them. <laughs> at K Rock Rain, uh, there is a, a much more in depth answer from Andy Zilch about Springfield as well. It does have an amazing hockey history. It up. certainly does.
2: Yeah, you and know, one more you say for you. As so many people came out of there. One of my favorite all time hockey players, Billy Smith, actually started his career in Springfield as well. So, I mean, they go way back. But, um, Gary, a question about the Montreal Expos. Um, (laughs) It seems like, uh, much like hockey in Utica was gone for a number of years uh, and it came back, Uh, it seems like with the exhibition games that the the, the Jays play there in Montreal, they they pack in. If they get a new stadium, I I cannot see how Major League Baseball does not expand to Montreal again because it seems like now they're – ready uh, to support a team again.
4: What do you think? Uh, I certainly hope so. I mean, I think certainly in the early days, they had tremendous support, and when they built the Olympic Stadium for the 76 Olympics, uh, <laughs> it, it bode well, but um, like most places these days, you've got to build it downtown, and like most places, if you take the Winnipeg Jets or wherever, teams that cities that have lost their teams... Uh, regret not supporting them through the times when they were down. And uh, when they come back, there's there's no hesitation in supporting them. So I think that if they ever do go back and they get the ballpark, like you mentioned, in the right area, brand new, then there would be no doubt that there's a huge exposed baseball following there. Um, there's some tremendous uh, players that came out of there. Jackie Robinson started his career, played for the Montreal Royals before he got called up. In Montreal and so there's a tremendous baseball tradition in Montreal that no one really knows about. So I think it's there's there's definitely an underlying uh, group there that are trying to get it going. But again, like you said, you've got to get the right building in the right area for it to work. So Don I have a question for you. Sure. Are you gonna ask him who the starting nine
1: was for the no. Montreal oh, Expo? Uh, you know he, he might he might be able to Expo answer the
2: that. <laughs> The very first Expos game was at Shea Stadium, 1969, and I believe Ron Hunt was the leadoff batter for that team.
4: Ron Hunt used to get hit by a pitch every third game. He, I think he sure still holds a record for being hit by a pitch. If not, sure it was it Don did.
1: Baylor. It was like one <laughs> and two of those two guys. Yeah. So, Don, my question to you is, when I first joined the Comets, you had a, a Comets tie with me. You were able to connect the person to me where who I worked with. What is Gary Agnew's tie, obviously Trent Cole aside, to Utica? Six degrees of separation is yeah. what you're looking for. Okay. Yeah. So what do you got for us, Don?
2: You got me. I can't think at the
1: moment. I, I don't know the answer, but I mean Don's like an encyclopedia of answers. But Don, trust me when I tell you, Don will get to work. He will research
3: that, and he's you will have an answer until he finds. His he answer. will find you an answer, and I'm dead serious. To up late tonight. Uh, I have one
2: more question. <laughs> <gonna> find,
3: <laughs> Don will not find just one. He'll find three oh, or he's four. He's gonna of an email Well, here's a hint for you. There's
4: actually two connections. So. Really remote, uh, but good luck in finding (laughs) them. This is going to be an interesting interesting night.
2: Uh, Larry Walker, who started his career in Utica here uh, with the Blue Sox when he was with, uh, uh, I believe it was the White Sox organization, when he was at Utica Blue Sox uh, and then he went to Montreal. Maybe not a Hall of Famer, but give me your, your thoughts on Larry's career because when he was with the Expos, I mean, he was as good as they come in the National League.
4: Loved, loved Larry Walker. For me, uh, he was a – he had a – got to be careful with how I phrase this. He had a hockey player's mentality when he played baseball, and I love that about him. I mean, I think he was a, a raw, big old boy that just went – played hard most nights and, uh, and had a great – he had a great career in Montreal, and they loved him there. But, uh, you know, you see him, you get up at bat, and he, you know, he did messy and standing in there, and you're thinking, man, I like this guy. He's got, he's got some blue collar attitude to me, and I, I love that about Larry Walker. And he rounded and out his
3: Canadian. game. The longer
1: he played, he got better and better and he better. Former Cardinals. Absolutely. He, and he's Canadian. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Jeez. So, Don, will we expect you on Friday? Yeah. Should I let everybody know there. you'll be. Okay. All right, guys. All right, have let's have a good take a show. Take... Yeah, thanks, Don. We appreciate
3: you calling and ask Andy. Of course, we do that every week. Utica Comets Insider live at Swifties on ESPN Utica Rome. Uh, courtesy, of course, of Slocum Dixon Medical Group and Bud Light Dilly Dilly. We'll be right back. Close things out. we got one more segment for you. And thanks, of course, to Gary Agnew for joining us this week.
0: Broadcasting live from Swifties on Genesee Street. This is Comets Insider with Rain and Scoop on ESPN Radio Utica Rome. Brought to you by Slocum Dixon Medical Group and Bud Light Dilly Dilly. ESPNUR, the app, ESPNUR.com, the website, AM 1310, 1350 at 1230. Me, Scoop, Rain here, Andy Zilch has departed but still hanging out. Gary Agnew of your Utica comments. said you've got an interesting road you've traveled throughout your career. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh, Columbus uh, Was it the uh, London in the O.H.O., was yeah. it? Yeah, well, a few uh, Fredericton <laughs> amongst, amongst others <laughs> Fredri-
3: Fredericton, <laughs> Milwaukee uh, yeah. Some time in Syracuse Yeah uh, There's yeah. probably some places we left out St. Louis Kingston, Oshawa, yeah, a few places, yeah. You yeah. went to
4: call Milwaukee? Hockey? Yeah. No, yeah. I don't know if you said that. Probably, yeah, yeah threw that one yeah. in there. You're a hockey I, lifer. That's awesome. I am a hockey lifer. I start. I actually started. Uh, I played Canadian college, and I I was in sales for three years. And uh, actually, the guy, uh, Doug McLean, who's a big uh, guy in Canada right now, and, uh, uh, hockey night in Canada or whatever, sure. was, was coaching and hired me as an assistant coach. And that kind of got me going in the coaching world. So it was uh,
3: took off from there. So It's led you to Utica, and now that you've had a chance to settle in for a few months... What do you think? I wanted to ask you, what do you think of Utica in general? Smaller market in hockey, but one hell of a fan base. Passionate fans. uh, Love
4: the barn. Like, you know, and barn is a, it it should not be considered a derogatory term. Absolutely not. In hockey terms, it's a great spot. So uh, love the uh, atmosphere. Uh, love the Utica chant love the go comet stuff I mean the whole thing is uh, really conducive to certainly to to players developing and, and getting better and there's sort of a lot of uh, accountability towards them too in a smaller market right you go to a bigger market Toronto or Montreal or whatever guys can hide in the woods but uh, you know when you're when you're a Utica comet man you're walking around town uh, there's a there's an accountability and I
3: think it makes you a better player and it helps you develop Yeah, I've told a lot of the guys every week we have a different player here. I'm like, you're a rock star when you're here. It's not like a big city where, yeah, you're anonymous, like you said. I mean... There's only one or two Walmarts, and there's not a lot of grocery <laughs> stores, and there's one mall, and there's basically one made road that shoots down the whole yeah. thing and, yeah. you know, limited number of places to go out and have a beer. And right. so people are going to know you around here, and you've got to deal with it, like you said. Yeah. Uh, what about the food? you try any of the food? There's always the, what is it, the Riggies are the big thing around here? And, uh, Riggies,
0: tomato pie, the greens. Would you find oh. that you never
3: had before that you've had here that you've tried? Well, the greens seem to be the big one. Uh,
4: so I have some friends in Syracuse, and we uh, we met out at Turning Stone Casino, and they went to high school here and grew up here. So they gave me a list of six or seven things that I had to try, the tomato pie, half the riggies. Half-moon cookies, probably. Half-moon cookies, yeah. There's a list of th- and a few restaurants. Her cousin owns one of them, so I was supposed to go to his place. I'm not sure I've been there yet, but I may have. I can't remember the name of the place right now.
3: Fair enough. Yeah, but,
4: um, yeah, no, so, yeah, been lots of advice. And, yeah, I mean, it's... It it is what it is. It's a fun place to coach for sure. Like I mean, if when you're looking at this type of uh, atmosphere, this type of community, this type of uh, you know, and on, on game night on a Friday night, it's it's what folks do. I mean, you. It's like Canada. You come to yeah, it's like Canada. That's right. It's and and you know, everybody but, loves Syracuse football, and there's lots of other things to do. But man, during the winter.
3: Komet Hockey is where it's at, and that's really cool. That's really good. It is the social event going on around here, and everything else is centered off of that. If you own a, a tavern or a bar around here and there is a comets game, you know from 7 to 10 it's going to slow a little bit, and at about ten fifteen, people are going to start heading in from the game, especially you know, within a couple of miles of, of the barn, so to speak. Right, and, and kudos to
4: the ownership group and the guys that run the team, Rob Esch and that group. Because when and it's no different than when I was in Columbus, when you sort of the area was kind of downtrodden in that sort of downtown arena district. You put a hockey team in there, you put a building in there, and all of a sudden there's a triple A baseball diamond go in. And then sure. there's there's condos and same as here. So you
0: know, Turner's got a
4: restaurant across. the Yeah, street. Montana's. Yeah, for sure. So there's so there's similar in a smaller way, obviously. But there's similarities in that, you know, you, you put it there and they will come. All of a sudden, condos go up, restaurants become popular. People come back downtown, and that's how you refer- get it going again.
3: Well, we were really glad uh, when we found out you were coming here based on your history. We knew your history. We spoke on the phone. I think it was the first comments-related interview that Scoop and I did. At the right. b- before the season started in you, August, yeah, yeah, you were the first person we talked to to kind of get ready for the new season, right. and and you went, I, I don't know anything about this place. <laughs> no idea. So, man, you've come a long way in a few short months, <laughs> yeah. and uh, we found out he's a big. He can I can I say this? He, he sampled and he sipped uh, a Legacy IPA, so supporting local, which is a fantastic thing. It's it's nice when you kind of incorporate yourself into the local community and things like that
4: well and I think you do that in, in my world anyway I try to do that wherever I am so whether I was drinking a Pops Blue Ribbon in Milwaukee or, yeah. or in St. Louis or Columbus or wherever we were Pittsburgh's got their own you know they got their own thing going on down there so everybody's got their thing and I think you got to enjoy the moment when, and live in the moment and enjoy what the culture has to bring in the place that you're at and for me every place that I've been is that something that you've enjoyed and people like to go? Whether Syracuse, you know, we had hides, they had white hot dogs down on high, you had to go try those or the dinosaur barbecue or whatever. So everybody's got something and I think
3: you got to enjoy that part of it. Possibilities, you go over there? Possibilities, yeah. That's one of my favorites in Armory Square. <laughs> our, our company's other uh, studios and facility is right in Armory okay. Square. So yeah, there's yeah. one down here in the landmark building and then the one out there. So right. yeah, I've yeah. worked in both markets. Gotcha. Scoop. Now, uh, one more question for him. I think we're getting the well, 60 we're, we're second get, out. We're getting
0: the music. I mean, I,
3: <laughs>
0: I'd love to ask him about five more questions. Stop but. the song. No, we're just kidding. Play the
3: song. We got to go. <laughs> All right. Gary Agnew, associate coach of the Utica Comets. Thank you. Really, we appreciate you spending some time with us tonight and talking Comets hockey. And I'm sure the fans do as well. Scoops here. I'm Rain. Thanks to Joe Nattarelli for stepping in and uh, doing the chief engineer role. God, you did a great
0: job. You did good. Scoop, take it away. Go Comets.